That's quite the question. Will you follow? Now, it was interesting. Uh, Brian kind of gave the uh, overview of the video. I must be a little bit artsier than I thought in that when I watched it, I was majorly convicted. I thought it was very clear as to what was going on, but uh, just absolutely intense. We take a moment to think about what God has done for us. You know, and just looking around in this room at human, human beings, people, you know, as I said in the video, we're complex. We're amazing. What God has created is absolutely amazing. And, you know, you look at the babies that we have in our fellowship, knowing that we were created pure. And that the whole purpose that God created us was so that we could have a relationship with Him. Yet we sinned. We cheated on Him. We took for granted, we took advantage of all the things that He's blessed us with, And it's amazing, as men and women, the things that we search for, the things that we pursue, the things that we go after to fill that void that God filled from the beginning of time, but we lose sight of that. And then separation. And knowing ultimately, we're slowly dying to spend eternity separated from God. But the God demonstrated this incredibly radical love through Jesus Christ. That when we were at our worst, Jesus was sent to die for us so that we could live a resurrected life as well and spend eternity in heaven with God. Not separated from God, but with God for eternity. And I think there's a, one of the writers of the Gospels, in a letter that he wrote from Pathmos, 1 John 3, John, we know, is the the apostle of love. I mean, his view, his perspective on Jesus, on life, amazing. Amazing poetry in and of itself when you read through his gospel. But I think he understood it more than anybody as to what love and relationship with God is all about. So we need to remember why Jesus died, why Jesus was sent, and ultimately what He did for us, and at what point in time that took place. The book of Romans sums it up very well. When He died for us, we were without strength, totally unable to help ourselves or to save ourselves. Romans 5, verse 6. He died for us when we were ungodly. Romans 5, 6. He died for us when we're sinners. Romans 5.8 He died for us when we were enemies of God, rebelling, cursing, neglecting, ignoring, denying, and rejecting God. Romans 5, verse 10 But it's so amazing that that's not something that God held against us. It's so amazing that God had a plan, and through all that, we have the ability to be united in Christ today. 1 John 3, verse 16 This is radical love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lie down our lives for our brothers. This is radical love. It's amazing what God has done for us. 
You know, the compassion that has been demonstrated through Christ. But knowing that with that compassion, there's a call for each and every one of us to respond to. In the second portion of this verse, it says we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You know, that is one of the more challenging aspects of that verse there in verse 16, right? I mean, it's awesome to know that Jesus demonstrated this incredible love for each and every one of us, but he doesn't have an expectation for us. And I think so often in this day and age, religion has gotten so watered down when it comes to what God has done for us, we lose sight of it, but we also lose sight of the expectations that God has for us to embrace it. Too often it gets marked down in a mire of grace. And grace is phenomenal! Because we've already seen it. We saw the video. Prayerfully had an opportunity to reflect on your own life for a moment or two there. I mean, for me, that glass of water with that black goo that's being poured into it, I don't know why, that, that, that hit me. Just knowing I was a pure vessel. And because of my lack of love for God, I invited in the contamination. I invited in the pollution. I invited in what separates from God. And you know, with grace, understanding grace means that we're going to strive to pursue, to be more and more like Christ each and every day. If we really understand it, if we get it. I mean, we got to, let's face it here for a moment. What is one of the reasons we don't engage actively helping people or serving the poor? I think we get right down to it. It's because we know that we're not 100% committed to Jesus Christ. Because if we were, we would imitate what Jesus has done. See, we've lost sight of radical compassion and the love that God has extended to us through Christ. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying we need to be perfect. We do need to have something to share with people. We have that through Christ and what Christ has done for us. If we're surrendered to Christ. If we're surrendered to Christ, then Christ will radically transform our lives to look like Him. Verse 17. says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You know, again, the answer right here in Scriptures is incredibly clear. If we have material possessions, the necessities of life, the love of God doesn't exist in us if we're not helping those that we see that are in need. No matter what we profess, claim, argue, it doesn't matter. If we're not actively giving and helping and being sacrificial to meet the needs of the desperate and needy in our communities and around the world, we don't love God. You know, it's amazing. The last ten years, middle-aged people, in between the ages of 30 and 50, suicide rate has gone up 50%. Does that sound like some need? Does that sound like some people that are hurting, that are looking, that are searching, trying to find something? I know there's a number of us here that have had run-ins with either family members or friends that have either attempted or committed suicide in our lifetimes. And it just blows my mind that someone could be in such a state if that's all they feel like they have as a last resort. 
And just knowing again, we've got to be aware, we need to make people aware of how awesome and loving and inclusive God is. God didn't create us to destroy us. God created us to have a relationship with Him. God loves us. He gave all that He was and all that He had to save us. God has called us to be Christ to a lost world. And we must love others. There's absolutely no question about it. I mean, it's amazing. Jesus establishes the greatest command to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is to love your neighbor. And we see John talking about it again. Jesus talks about it in John 13, 34, 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And what did he demonstrate? What was he willing to do? And again, being called to imitate that. It just blows my mind that God would come down in the flesh, frail. A human body that could die. And a willingness to give up life so we could have life. It's just amazing. See, we can't say the love of God dwells in us if we don't have that kind of a heart towards others. You know, I think one of the things that we've got to take a closer look at, and it's worth each of us studying it out individually, you look at the likes of Matthew 25. Are meeting these needs a salvation issue? They are. We need to think that through. Why did Jesus delineate in Matthew 25 goats and sheep? And what does he talk about taking place there that will determine where one spends eternity? You didn't feed me. You didn't give me something to drink. You didn't visit me in prison. Well, Lord, when did we ever have that interaction with you? When you had it with the least of mine. You had that interaction with me. And he goes on and he says in the same exact passage, he commends those that gave him something to eat, that gave him something to drink, that met his needs. And again, the same question came forward. Well, Jesus, when did we have that interaction with you? And he says again, whenever you met the, the, the least of these, you met their needs, you were taking care of me. Sounds like a salvation issue to me. You know, are we supposed to seek and save the lost? Of course we are. There's another side of that equation, though, that we need to make sure that we go after, and that's meeting the needs of those that can be struggling on any number of fronts. See, we have, to, we have to be careful we're not trying to justify our lack of giving or our lack of serving. You know, we may not, no longer feel compassion. And it's interesting, the longer I've been a Christian, the less compassionate I've found myself to be on multiple occasions. But I'm so grateful to God that He's given me opportunities to have the scales ripped off my heart. You know, serving down there in Skid Row, having the opportunity to go on a medical brigade, seeing video footage of those so much less fortunate than me, helps reinstill that compassion in my life. I think we've become unconcerned, complacent. We can get bad attitudes or become judgmental. We all can do that. I know it because I go there. I don't think I'm totally unique in this group. You know, it's interesting. We, we see the homeless. And we start running those attitudes through our heads. You know, thought becomes not so much about their condition, but how they ended up there. Well, he deserves it. 
He's being paid back. God's judging him for his evil. He made his bed, let him lie in it. He's reaping what he sowed. If he wasn't so lazy, he'd find work. He could better himself if he tried. And this is where we can go. You know, we've got our special missions contribution coming up next weekend. I've heard the issues with special through the years. I know there's times I've had some questions. I never once have not given. And it's always been incredibly sacrificial. Not always the way God wants it, though, with the right heart. Not out of compulsion, but really out of recognizing the need that's out there. And, you know, what can we say about special? Well, you know, it's not really all that bad down there. I mean, we've been supporting them for 20 years. Why can't they support themselves? Do we really know where the money's going? These are some of the things that can run through our head. Thank God, Jesus, thank God, God didn't have those kind of qualifiers for us. Radical love. You know, I look back to uh, our first special, and, uh, you know, we were up to our eyeballs in Hawk. We'd uh, just become Christians, and uh, it's one of the things that's so incredibly, incredible when you're a young Christian, man, the degree of zeal and enthusiasm, and I remember really working very, very hard for this particular wedding ring that I got my wife. You know, the whole two-month-of-your-income thing that the jewelry industry seems to have us believing. Uh, if you're a jeweler, please. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but I was just thinking that through, and my wife decided that year that she was going to sell a ring and give it to special. And it, it picked up a portion of what we were going to give. But, and initially, I'm kind of thinking, she asked me, which was good. And I, my, my initial thought was, wow, that's kind of cool. And I started thinking about it. I said, man, I worked hard for that thing. And I'm probably just going to have to buy her another one. <laughs> but, you know, I, I let it play out. And it's like, you know what, hey, man, I'm glad I'm married to a woman that's got that kind of a heart. That she understands and sees the needs of others being more important than a ring on your finger. And, you know, this is a whole other story. I lost mine a number of years back and kind of falls in the realm of what God talks about. You know, it all burns anyways, right? But, you know, when it comes to uh, missions, let me get back to where I need to go here. You know, what I'd like for everybody to do right now, everybody that, whoops, a little quick there. There we go. Everybody that this past year has served in, I don't care whatever capacity it is, if you've been an usher, if you've done Kids Kingdom, if you've been down to the different projects in our community service that we have, I'd like everybody that has served to stand up. You guys need to give yourself a hand. I really believe this is what God wants. This is what God enjoys. People looking to others' needs before their own. I think sometimes we look at Kids' Kingdom and we lose sight of how important that is, given our youth the opportunity to have some of these things instilled early on in life. Ushering, whatever the case may be, it's serving. God appreciates that. God designed that. God is that. Do we believe that? Do we really understand that? You know, when it comes to special missions, here's our uh, group down in Mexico. These are the ministry leaders down there in the southwestern Mexico churches, the uh, ten stars up there. 
at the bottom of Mexico or the different areas that we're in. And beyond that, we're in Nicaragua. Uh, our medical brigades go to Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, and I believe we're looking to get, um, actually Nicaragua is the new one. El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala are the ones that we're currently involved with. And we have churches in those areas as well. I do want to uh, read our, uh, a little thing that I got from Jaime Deanda in regards to our mission works. So the uh, southwestern Mexico family of churches includes eight regions of the Mexico City Church plus nine other churches in the country. The congregational groups range in membership from 18 in Alcapoco, 315 in Navarte, for a, number, for a total membership of almost 2,100 disciples. Some of the churches are led by full-time ministers and some are led by volunteer ministry leaders. Mario and Angelica Espinosa oversee the whole group. The group's slogan is, A Great Family Seeking to Serve a Loving Father. And as of April of 2013, over 60 people have been baptized so far this year. New Hope Worldwide Medical Clinics were inaugurated in Mexico City. The campus of the National University of Mexico was launched with an evangelistic conference that brought over 100 visitors. Now, mind you, because of a lack of funding that had gone down there, our campus ministry on campuses within one area that exceed hundreds of thousands of people was virtually non-existent. And this is something we've helped with in the past. And, and prayerfully, we can get things back up to speed. I know that it's been going, they've been going after pretty aggressively here this last year. Virtual devotionals are held every month by web conferencing to encourage and help the leaders of the various ministry groups, most of whom are fi- not financially able to travel. Thank God for the modern era of technology and that it used to be you had to jump on a plane, bring them up, go down, and it was costly. But there are other ways now that we're helping to facilitate the training and such that goes on with these individuals. The Singles Ministry in Mexico City organized a retreat near Teotihuacan, and I'm not even going to try it again. (laughs) Some group of pyramids down there, and over 250 single disciples attended, which is awesome. Amen? Challenges and Dreams, planning to have our first summer camp for teens and preteens in the Mexico City Church. Hosting the 12th National Conference for Single Disciples. Praying for location and finances to host a conference for all the churches in Mexico in October. It's been five years since the whole Mexico City Church, 3,800 members, has been able to have a congregational meeting. They're praying for explosive growth, praying to be able to identify and train future elders. There's a lot of needs down there. And what I say to that is, amen, we have the opportunity to help facilitate God being preached and lives being changed in Mexico. Amen? Let's go ahead and continue here in verse 18 of 1 John 3. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. There's an incredible key here to having a stress-free heart. What's the key to a clean, restful, stress-free heart? Are you wearied? Are you tired? Are you insecure? Are you not at peace? Are you anxious? Are you lacking joy? Take a look at verse 18 here. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what? Actions and in truth. And then in verse 19, what do those actions and truth lead to? says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth 
and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. So the bottom line is, if we're living within action and truth, every once in a while you're going to play out some dumb thoughts in your head. But here's the other flip side of that coin. Is it possible that if you're not living in action and truth, maybe you're feeling a little guilty about it? Maybe you're a little stressed. Maybe you've got some issues going on there at a heart level. And you know, God uses that for a reason. God wants us not to get off track, but to stay on track. You know, uh, any of you guys ever had those dummy lights going on in your car? See, sometimes we can feel guilty for a reason. It's because we've strayed. And our lives don't match our calling. The calling that... Last time I checked, in this church, the way the Bible's preached, the way we study it, it's a calling that you voluntarily answer. And so with that, guilt sometimes can be a good thing. It's like the dummy lights on the dashboard of our car. Now, do they tell you exactly what's wrong with the car? I don't know if that's why they're called dummy lights, or maybe it's because we don't maintain them, so they're called dummy lights for us or what. But the whole thing with dummy lights is there's an issue. And my, my son works as a service writer for a Mazda Lincoln Mercury dealership. And what happens when those dummy lights come on? People show up in his driveway. And they'll sit there and they'll make noises and they'll point, and this is where I think it's coming from, and this, that, and the other. And his job is to sort of kind of figure it out so he can give direction to the mechanics. So when it comes to the dummy lights, this is kind of what we've got going on. you got the engine light. You take the mechanic. The mechanic does the diagnostics, gets the car fixed. When it comes to where we're at, you've got guilt going on. Now, if it's because you've strayed from that actions and the truth that God calls us to, you may not be able to totally figure out what it is that's going on, but, you know, there's this incredible thing called discipling. You get with a brother or sister, and you share with them the things that you're feeling and what you're going through. A little bit of diagnostics go on. I've been tuned up a few times in the last 22 years of being a Christian. Any of you guys relate to that at all? Sometimes those tune-ups are expensive, man. <laughs> but the bottom line is, what do we do? We go to the Scriptures. The Scriptures help get us back online. And we can have the kind of heart that we just read about in 1 John 3. God has made our hearts sensitive. So they'll sense wrongdoing. Why? So that we have the ability to correct our behavior and not destroy ourselves. God is greater than our hearts. He knows all things. And this means two things. Number one, God knows everything about us. Kind of like Santa Claus, man. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you've been good. He knows when you've been good or bad. I mean, you know, the whole routine, God knows it. He knows everything that we do, even our thoughts. And He knows when we've done wrong and when we rightly or wrongly feel condemned. He knows every little thing that we think. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that remains hidden from God. Number two, God knows how to reassure our hearts and how to give us confidence towards Him. It's not a matter of what God wants from us. It's a matter of what God wants for us. God knows how to deliver us from that sense of guilt and condemnation. God knows how to remove all condemnation from our hearts. Think about it. God knows how to remove it. How? How can God remove guilt and condemnation that weighs upon our hearts and our lives? By demonstrating radical love. By loving us so much that He would send His Son to die for us. 
See, when we see God's love for us, and we make Jesus, His Son, our Lord and Savior, we discover the most radical thing ever. And that is unconditional love and grace. Something else happens. When Jesus Christ removes that sense of guilt and condemnation, He actually forgives and cleanses us from sin through the waters of baptism, and then our attitudes towards others actually change. If we look to Christ, I remember coming out of the waters of baptism and having the opportunity to baptize my wife and just want to go out there and tear up the world for Christ. Because that's when it was freshest for me. That's when I realized what God was willing to do for me. And this is the thing that's awesome about God. God loved with action and truth, and that's exactly what He calls us to. Verse 21. He says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. See, if we respond to the Holy Spirit in the sensitivity that God has built into our hearts, we'll find ourselves being obedient to His calling and His purpose for our life. Now, the child disobeys his parent. Parents, is that pleasing to you? How many of you parents reward your kids for being disobedient? We got the kids raising their hands. Teens are over here. <laughs> is, that, is that kind of a subconscious thing you're hoping that that would be the case? <laughs> Basically. I mean, the bottom line is we know what it's to be, what it's like to be a parent, right? Now, I don't think we've got that total unconditional love thing down towards our kids the way that God has towards us and the love that He demonstrates for them. But the bottom line is we don't reward disobedience. So why would we think we can live the way we want to live? God, I want this and I want it now. If a parent, as a parent, we're not going to do it, why in heaven's name would God do it? Yet, I think we go there. I think we got to understand the only way that we're going to receive the things we ask is to obey God. He will not and cannot reward our unfaithfulness, nor can He reward our disobedience. You know, this is a great verse of Scripture because it tells us exactly how to receive the answers to our prayers. I'm going to say it again. This is a great verse of Scripture because it tells us exactly how we can have our prayers answered. Amen? What does it say? Let's take a look at it again. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, before, uh, condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive what from Him? Anything. God a liar? says we will receive anything we ask because we what? Obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Why would we think that grace negates that? In light of what's... Why would we think that grace negates obedience? We go there. That's the religious world. And I think sometimes, you know, it's... Well, not sometimes. It's a lot easier to think you can do whatever the heck you want to do and get away with it and get rewarded for it. I mean, you know, why do we have criminals? Isn't that their take on life? I do whatever I want to do, take whatever I want, and get away with it. Obviously, it doesn't work because that's why we have prisons. We can have an incredible life. Philippians 4.7 talks about the peace that transcends all understanding. God wants that for us. You know, I think back to when we were called in 1990... I was working at Santa Monica Ford at the time. I had to go in and tell my boss, but I didn't get Sundays off. I was quitting, because that was my conviction. He gave up his golf game in the morning so I could attend church, which I thought was very uh, 
very nice of him. I didn't have to go looking for another job. Then uh, I remember uh, we sat down with someone. We were talking about, you know, how sacrificial we were with our $20 a week. We were making quite a bit of money at the time. And, uh, you know, Bible's open, some scriptures were shared, and it's like, okay, well, we need to do something. I, I want to do that. I want to be, I want to do more than tithe. I want to be sacrificial when I look what Christ has done for me. And I remember it, it was so bad that the guy that was leading our church at the time looked at our finances and had to have a sit down with Keith Rose to try and figure it all out. But, uh, I remember going into my employer, and one of the things that Keith recommended was asking for a raise. Not only did I go in and ask for a raise, I asked for a guarantee, which within the automobile industry, any of you that have worked it, you know that doesn't happen, right? Straight commission. Well, I ended up with a $7,500 a month guarantee in 1990, which wasn't a bad amount of change at the time for a guy that was just uh, starting on a desk, starting to desk deals and train salespeople. And then Jackie went into the same thing, and she received a 30% increase at work. Not only did it help take care of all the debt that we had acquired because we were living the American dream, baby, spent every penny we made, but it enabled us to be sacrificial in our giving as well. And I totally believe it's because we were obedient to God. God totally, I mean, who gets a 30% increase? Who gets a guarantee in the automobile industry? I mean, totally God. It was so obvious for us at the time. I was like, well, that's God. How many of us are willing to really put our faith on the line in these areas and try being obedient to see what God will do for us. You know, in 1991, a year after we became Christians, we were asked to go into the ministry. And uh, that was kind of interesting. Neither one of us could figure out why. And neither one of us were voted to be most likely to go into the ministry in high school. And, um, you know, it was something we had to count the cost on a little bit. Uh, through that going on staff, we were called to give back to God what God had already given to us. We had, had a brand new home that we had purchased in 1989. Loved it. I mean, it was an incredible place. It was like an atrium inside. There was a bridge that connected the master bedrooms to the kids' be- bedrooms. We had a moat so they couldn't get into ours. No, the bridge was real. The moat wasn't. I mean, it was. we had 20-foot palms inside. I mean, it was an incredible place. But needless to say, going on staff... Not quite the same as what she was doing in the clothing industry and what I was doing in the automobile industry. We took a two-third pay, two-third of our pay was cut going on staff. Sold our home. We lost $50,000 in the process on that. And the, honestly, the biggest test out of all that was for Jackie giving up her Mustang convertible, for me having one car, and with two of us going in different directions 90% of the time. And needless to say, our marriage was refined by fire in that first year in the ministry. And we did learn how to talk to each other. We gave it up. And we felt great about it. But you know, in between, you kind of lose sight of that go, every, go anywhere, give up everything mentality, mindset, and heart. You know, we went self-supporting for a little while. And then in 2010, I moved to Denver to take on a, a relatively cush job. Um... Sales manager, sales trainer, meeting manager with an option to buy into one of the most successful auto conglomerates in the Denver area. And uh, in moving up there, I wasn't even planning on leading the Bible talk, man. I'm like, you know what? I've been busting my hump for the last 20 years. It's time for a break. And, you know, it lasted two months. <laughs> Got a phone call two days into the move about this incredible situation we've been blessed with here. And 
Needless to say, life is good. God is awesome. That's how we ended up down here in South Bay. We're leading a little bit more than the Bible talk. But you know, the thing that I'm most grateful for is that Luke 9 and Luke 14 are operative in my life again. That call to deny self, that call to carry your cross. And then in verse 23, this is His command. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that He gave us. Kind of amazing. You can go through and count it, but the term obedience shows up in those eight, eight verses quite a bit. And there is this wonderful thing that's called grace, but God has demonstrated it through Christ. It is not a license to live the way we want to live. What does it mean to believe in the name of someone? You know, what, what does your name mean? What does my name mean? Names are usually associated with reputations, right? A person's name stands for what he is, for the kind of person he is, the kind of things that he does. Therefore, if we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, it means we believe in all that he stands for and all that he is. And ultimately, that should be evident in our conduct, should it not? He's the Son of God. He came to earth to reveal God. He's the great advocate and sacrifice for man and his sins. His love is a radical love, compassionate love, a love of forgiveness. And that's exactly what we've been called to be. Verse 24 says, Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. You know, this Holy Spirit that we've been given, it seals us. It guarantees us. It gives us absolute assurance that we belong to God. He lives within us. Which means that He talks to us. He shares with us. He leads and He guides us. He disciplines us, convicts us, and convinces us that He is involved in living through us, within us. He is our constant and permanent companion. That should excite you. Know that God is with you every second of every day, every second of every night. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And most of us have experienced that in life. Where we've had a parent walk out on us, a parent die when we were young. We've experienced that. But God will never go there. That is not God. He's demonstrated Radical love, compassion. In Galatians 3, I'm just going to veer off for a couple passages here. I really want you to pay attention to these. These are huge. It says in Galatians 3, verse 26, You are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know, one of the things that I, I've always understood this, but I've never read this in context. You know, I... The whole thing with the verses and the chapters, it's amazing how you'll read a chapter and stop and then come back the next day and read it and you don't necessarily connect it with what you've read before. Let's continue in chapter 4 here. This is pretty amazing. It says, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. 
Because you are sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. See, where does our faith lead us? We adhere to the Scriptures. It leads us to baptism. Because we know that's the only means of having our sins forgiven. That's the only means of being purified. That's the only means of the Holy Spirit actually being able to take up residence in you. And it's so cool what we saw in Galatians 3. It says we are clothed in Christ. When God sees us, who does He see? He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. That in and of itself is awesome. But he continues, once that Holy Spirit was within us, it resides in our heart, what else happens? Not only does God see His Son, He hears His Son. The Holy Spirit cries out again. There's different means of identifying people. I can look, your babies don't even need to verbalize themselves yet, but you can, can't you? It's the same way with God as Jesus Christ. We are the representation of His Son. That amazes me. There's no mistakes that can be making. That, that, that assures me that God will know when it's time that I am His. See, we need to not just understand what we see John talking about in First John, but realize that what we see here in Galatians is the kind of love that's been demonstrated through God. But what John is talking about here in his letter, these things, all these things are salvation issues. You know, I've talked about it before, Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah condemned? It wasn't because of their blatant sexual sin. It was because of their pride and their excess and their lack of concern for the poor. That's why they were torched. Matthew 25, again, there's a line that's drawn based on the way that we live our lives. These are salvation issues. You know, when Jesus comes back surrounded by hundreds of thousands of angels, as is talked about in Matthew 25, He's coming back to judge the world. That world at that point in time will be judged by how they cared for the poor and those around them. Those that didn't step up and be obedient to what Christ has called us to, theirs will be eternal punishment. But for those who did, the righteous will go to eternal life. If you're visiting with us and you're looking for a real purpose in life, something that's fulfilling, we can help you in a couple of ways. We have our connection table, which can get you connected to the small groups we have in the area. If you're looking for a Bible study, if you're looking for a discussion group where you can sit down and you can talk about the concepts that have been established through God's Word today, you can do that. For those of you, maybe your bend is to really jump right out there and help. That applies to the congregation as well. We have our community service table back there in the back as well. See, we all need to strive to be engaged. And sadly, according to research that's been done by George Barna, Almost half of born-again believers questioned in a nationwide poll admitted that they are searching for meaning and purpose. <clears throat> thing that's scary about that, this is exactly the same percentage as the way non-Christians responded. See, if believers, true disciples, aren't experiencing meaning and purpose in life, when do we, what do we have to give to lost people? People don't see us living with love, joy, and hope. 
Why in heaven's name would they want what we've got? See, I believe the reason the percentage in these polls are the same is that the born-again believers are searching the same places the non-believers are looking. They're trying to find meaning and purpose in their stuff during this life rather than looking for the scriptures in Christ and what is ahead of us in the life to come. Which leads me to the next question is, were any of those polled really born again? See, the Bible holds the answers and the purpose and meaning for life. And I think sometimes we make it a lot more difficult than we need to. You know, this call today is to radical Christianity. There are needs both physically and spiritually that we can actually help meet in the communities around us. You know, we got to see that last week at the park when Freddie was baptized into Christ. We just need to open our eyes. You know, you may get the call someday to a third world nation. Then again, you may not get the call. But here's the reality. We think about Luke 10 and the Good Samaritan. You know, in the scriptures that we've seen today, there's been some things that have been established that God calls us to. First John 3.16b says, We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The thing that's interesting about the Good Samaritan it wasn't a matter of him, you know, going out on some mission team somewhere or finding a poor part of town to live in so he could kind of meet needs and make a difference. Good Samaritan wasn't a good neighbor because he gave up everything. He wasn't worried about whether or not the individual that he came across on the road was his brother or his neighbor. He came across a helpless victim as he traveled and he stopped to meet the need. See, we begin to fulfill Luke 10, that whole love your neighbor as yourself concept, when it's not about doing something radical, extreme, or over the top. No one's asking us to die on a cross. We fulfill it when we're really spiritual and committed and faithful to what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we see those needs in our daily walk throughout our neighborhoods, our corporate jobs, you know, trips, camping trips to Silverwood Lake, Disney World, you know, even the shorter-term mission teams that we go out on, the medical brigades and those kinds of things. But it's a matter of stopping to help those whom we meet in everyday life, reaching out in a quiet, practical, and Christ-giving to others the radical love that was given to us. You know, looking around in this room, we've got money, we've got time, question is, is Jesus Christ really Lord and Savior of our lives? See, we need to be willing to get uncomfortable and sacrifice something for the gospel. And that's the kind of radical love I would like you to hear and consider as we move forward. Radical love for God is demonstrated by our embrace, love, and obedience to him, making Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. Let's go ahead and pray for our communion. Fathers, I come before you this morning and just reflecting on the video that we saw today, it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever what you were willing to do 2,000 years ago when it comes to my perspective, my perception of things. Yet you demonstrated an incredible love, a radical love for each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we can take the time to reflect on what has taken place in our lives, the transformation that came through Christ, the fact that you know who we are because of what Jesus has done for us and our response to that. 
Father, I pray we never lose sight of the blood of Christ. I pray that we never lose sight of what He was willing to do coming down from heaven to die for us, and knowing that that death and our participation in that death through the waters of baptism gives us the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with You. Thank You, God, for clothing us in Christ. Thank You, God, for instilling the Spirit that yells out and cries out to You, Abba, Father, knowing that when the time comes and Jesus comes with those angels to judge the world, we'll be seen as those that belong to You. Father, thank You so much for Your Scripture. Thank You for today. More than anything, thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. In His name I pray. Amen.